good morning, church. Good morning and Merry Christmas. I can't believe it's four days away. Worship team, that was awesome. Just love singing carols. I love being in the Christmas spirit and so excited about Christmas and this time of year as we worship. Let me ask you a question. What is the best gift that you've ever received? Best gift that you've ever received at Christmas. What, what is it? Maybe it was a Red Ryder BB gun, you know, when you were a kid and you wanted it, you couldn't wait, you know, or maybe it was something else, you know. Uh, what was it? What was that gift? Uh, maybe for you it was something that just really met a need. It, you didn't expect it and it came and you opened it and you're like, wow. Or maybe it was something that somebody took a lot of time. And you knew when they gave you that gift and you opened it, you're like, wow, they, I mean, they really thought about this. They really worked on this. It was just like, it got you, you know, it was just that emotion right there. What's the best gift you've ever received? Now, let me ask you this. What's the best gift you've ever given? Best gift you've ever given. Maybe it was to a parent or to a child or maybe it was to a friend and you spent time on it. You know, you just, you thought about it or maybe you just knew, man, this is what they need. And and you couldn't wait for Christmas because you were going to give them this gift. You're like, I can't wait. Get here, get here. Because you wanted to give that gift. You know, for me, it was 14 years ago. And 14 years ago, I was dating my wife now, Lisa, and uh, we were at her family's house in Kentucky. And we had Christmas that morning with her uh, nephews, and we were all there, and it was a great time, and opening gifts and everything. And then we had the Christmas lunch with her parents and her sister and everybody. And then that night, you know, uh, I went down, knocked on her bedroom door. She was down there in a different room, and I knocked on there, and she came out, and I said, I've got one more gift for you. And right there in her parents' house, I got down on one knee, you know, and I opened up this little box and I just said, you know, will you marry me? And she just looked at me and she's like, yes, you know, and it was, it was just this incredible moment. But right there, you know what I was doing? I was saying, I love you and I'm giving you my heart. And it was in the form of a ring, but really what I was saying was, you are so incredible to me. And I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And it's a relationship. Now, I could have never dreamed the joy that was going to come in my life from being married to her. She is awesome and incredible. Could have never dreamed the impact on her life or the impact on generations. Now having three kids and thinking about the generations that are impacted just in that moment of giving my heart. We've been in a great series called Jesus Changes Everything, and it's so true. I mean, it is so true. And we started big picture, right? If you think about it as a funnel, we started and we said, look how Jesus has changed the world. I mean, think about how different the world is because of Jesus. I mean, before Jesus, everybody living for themselves, right? Might is right. He who has the power rules. And, and, and you know, everybody was marginalized. Slaves were marginalized. Women were marginalized. You know, the elderly were marginalized. The poor. It was whoever had the money, whoever had the power, whoever could, you know, kill another person. And, and yet, Jesus stepped into this world and he changed it all. He said, all people matter to me. Everybody's important, that there's a God of love, that there's a God of grace. And he gave people a place at the table and it's been followers of Christ who started hospitals. It's been followers of Christ who started hospice and orphanages. Followers of Christ who've who've started, you know, taking care of the poor and the needy. He just turned the entire world upside down. We saw Jesus changes the world. We saw how Jesus changes our home and brings love and brings grace and brings hope into our home. We saw how Jesus last week changes our vision and the plan that we have for our life and that God has so much more if we will follow him, if we will trust him. And today we come down to this, how Jesus changes our heart. How Jesus longs to have a relationship with you and with me. How Jesus longs to change us from the inside out. And when Christ comes alive in our heart as Jesus is born here 
in Bethlehem in our heart, everything changes because Christ is here. Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what Christmas is all about. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2. In our series, we've been walking through this one chapter of the Bible and unpacking the Word of God. And it's so good. It's so deep. It's so rich. Because this Luke chapter 2 is the hinge of the entire Bible. I mean, really, everything in the Old Testament is looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And then when Jesus, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels all talk about Jesus. And afterwards, everything is looking back to Jesus because Jesus changed everything. It's also the hinge of history, Luke chapter 2. B.C., A.D., all hinges on the birth of Christ. Every date that you write, you're marking the birth of Jesus because this all comes back to Jesus. So we're in Luke chapter 2. Maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures online or we'll put the words on the screen and you can follow along. Now we started in Luke chapter 2 with the Christmas story, right? Caesar Augustus, who was the Roman emperor at the time, issues a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And he did it, why? Because he wanted money. It was for taxation. It was to, you had to serve in the military because you were conquered, you were defeated. And so everybody had to go to their own town to register. And Mary and Joseph are living in Nazareth. They make the journey down to Bethlehem. Caesar Augustus doesn't care about pregnant women. He doesn't care about the elderly. He just says, you get there because I want my money. And they come down to Bethlehem. And while they're in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And they named him Jesus, the name the angel had given to Joseph. Jesus literally means salvation. The one who has come to take away the sins of the world. And there he is in a manger. And God has this great birth announcement. All the angels show up, sing glory to God in the highest. The shepherds run over. They want to see the Messiah. And Mary's holding all these things in her heart. Well, after 40 days, they took Jesus from Bethlehem, about six miles over to Jerusalem, to the temple to have him dedicated to the Lord, which was the custom. That was what you did. And you dedicated the firstborn son to the Lord. And so Mary and Joseph do that. It wasn't Jesus' baptism experience. That will come later on when he's 30, when he, you know, he's fallen in the beginning of his earthly ministry. This was a dedication time for the family, a family dedication. And they're there, and then Simeon and Anna, these, this devout person, this righteous woman, and they, they come up and they praise God for the Messiah. The Messiah is here, what they've been waiting for, that God has broken into the world. And we left off in verse 38 last week, and so let's pick up here in verse 39. It says, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. And he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. You see, Luke, he leaves out what's recorded in Matthew chapter 2 about the Magi coming. He leaves out about, you know, Herod killing all the baby boys born there in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. He leaves out Joseph and Mary heading down to Egypt. But he just picks up and he says, Joseph and Mary, they, they come back to Nazareth. And Jesus is there and he's changed their hearts and their lives. And Jesus is growing. And it says in verse 41 that every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Now, the feast of the Passover was a big deal, okay, at this time. There were three major feasts that happened every year. That if you were a Jew, wherever you were living, you were supposed to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And the feast of the Passover was like the granddaddy of them all, okay? I mean, it was the big one. Everybody came into Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. The city would swell to three to five times its normal size. People sleeping out on the Mount of Olives. Everybody there to come worship at the temple. Now, the Passover commemorated, right, when God delivered his people out of a land of slavery in Egypt. 
And God sent 10 plagues. Remember this? It sent 10 plagues against Pharaoh. And I'm making a new movie about it, right? And 10 plagues come. And the last plague is the death angel. And God told the people, hey, if you're an Israelite, if you're a follower of me, you take the blood of a lamb, put it over the door frames of your home, and the death angel will pass over. And sure enough, that's what they did. And the death angel passed over. The firstborn of every Egyptian was killed. And Pharaoh finally said, you can go. You are free. Leave. And so God took these slaves, these slaves who had no hope, you know, and he took them out of this land and he sent them to a land of freedom, to their own land. And so every year they come together and they celebrate this. They celebrate the Passover. Well, look what it says. It says here that when it was time, when Jesus was 12 years old, right, he went up with him according to the custom. Now, here he is, 12 years old. Now, 12 years old was the time when a boy kind of entered into the religious life in the community. It, it, was, it was kind of the time, you know, he becomes a man and he enters into this religious life. And so Jesus is at the feast of the Passover and he's not just there as an observer anymore. He's there to participate. He's, he's kind of walked into this manhood status. Now, I often think, what was going on in Jesus' mind? As all of this is playing out, as they're, as they're celebrating the Passover, do you think Jesus is going, oh yeah, but God's doing so much more. <laughs> you, know, the, you see the lamb that's being sacrificed? Yeah, but I'm the lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. I think there was this awareness in Jesus that something huge was going to happen. And there he is, Jesus. Well, it says, after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. They lost Jesus, okay? I mean, I mean, here's Mary and Joseph, and they're at the feast, they're at the big celebration, and they leave, and they lost Jesus. I mean, you're like, wow, how do you do that? Well, it's easy to see because back then the women would leave early. They would leave first. It was usually the women and the children and all the stuff and all the things. And so they would leave and take off. The men would stay back and they would have some kind of final celebrations together. And then they would leave and they would catch the women at about dark time so that they could sleep together and camp out on their way on the journey. Well, you can imagine Joseph is going, well, he's... You know, Jesus is probably with Mary. He's always been. That's where he would be with the kids. And Mary's going, well, Jesus is now kind of right of passage. He's with the men, so he's staying back there. And so they both leave. And there's Jesus back in Jerusalem. And the parents have gone on. They lost Jesus. Now, it's one thing to lose, you know, your, your child for a little bit. But they lost the Messiah, right? I mean, this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. And you can imagine that, that angst and that fear if you're a parent or you're a grandparent, or you're a babysitter, you know. I mean, there's that moment when you're at a mall, or you're at a store, or you're at a playground, and you're looking around, and you can't find... There's that angst, and that worry, and that fear. So you can imagine what Mary and Joseph are feeling right now, as they come back, and they're looking. Well, it says, when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. I think this would have been awesome. Here's this 12-year-old kid sitting there, and all the religious leaders are gathered around. You can picture this scene. And I bet you Jesus is going, okay, well, it says in the book of Isaiah about the Messiah, you know, and what do you think it means by this, that he's not just for the Jews, he's for the Gentiles as well? What do you think when he's talking about here in the, the Old Testament about the Messiah coming for all people, 
and to save from sin. And, and I think these religious leaders are going, whoa, <laughs> what's going on? And Jesus is probably like, well, I wrote that a long time ago. But anyway, you know, so he's sitting there and everyone who heard him was amazed. I mean, they was amazed, of course, at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Here's his parents are frantically looking all over and they finally end up in the temple. And there he is among all the religious leaders. And he's given these answers. And his parents are like, whoa, what is going on here? And then his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? <laughs> Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. You know, I look at this, and a lot of times we give Mary and Joseph a hard time for, for leaving Jesus. But, but the fact of the matter is, so often in our lives, we can forget about Jesus, can't we? We can misplace Jesus in our lives. We get busy doing things and stuff, and, and we just kind of forget. Now, it's not that you can lose your salvation. I mean, once you're saved, once you're a follower of Christ, you, you can't do anything to lose your salvation. Nothing can separate you out of the hand of God, praise be to God. But so often in our life, we kind of go on with our life. And Jesus doesn't become the priority. We get busy wrapped up in Christmas. We get busy wrapped up in all the trappings and all the things and the trees and the presents and the, you know, the cards and the cookies and everything else. And sometimes we stop and look up and go, wait a minute, where's Jesus? <laughs> where's Jesus in all this? We get so busy in life and we're making money and we're running after our career. We're taking care of kids. We're running a taxi cab service. We're doing all these things. And sometimes we have to stop and go, where's Jesus? Because I've made my life about all kinds of other things, you know, have I missed it? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Here's where I want to camp out today is on verse 49. Verse 49, I think this is so powerful. When Mary says to him, you know, son, why have you treated us like this? And I bet you Jesus is going, you guys left me. You know, it wasn't like I'm 12. Okay, you left. But anyway, he didn't say that probably. But he said, you know, we've been searching for you. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And then Jesus says, why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And look at the contrast here. Jesus takes the statement that Mary makes, your father and I, right? Who's she talking about? Joseph. And he contrasts that with, didn't you know I had to be in my father's, capital F, my father's house with God. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, there is a relationship that you can have with God. This is powerful. And I think Jesus said this so loudly that everybody could hear this because he was making a statement to the religious leaders back then. He's making a statement to us. If you look at that word father, the word father, you know, you know Jesus could have used a word like um, Elohim. Elohim, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God. God, you're right? God created everything. And God, the word there is Elohim, which means, you know, ruler of all, majestic ruler. But he didn't use that word right there. He, he could have used the word that's used, you know, when God revealed himself to Abraham. And God said, I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai means the almighty, the sovereignty of God. And, and, but he didn't use that word there. He could have used the word there that God revealed himself to Moses. You remember when Moses, you know, was at the burning bush and, and God saying to Moses, go down to Egypt and say, hey, to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says, well, who am I supposed to say sent me? And God says, tell him, I am who I am. I am who I am. And the word there is Yahweh. Yahweh. 
Yahweh was such a powerful word to the religious leaders back then because they didn't even put the vowels in it. They didn't want to mess it up. Yahweh was just like, it symbolized the presence of God. But Jesus didn't use that word there. What word did Jesus use? Father. Father. Now that word father, it's translated father, but really it's even more intimate than that. Uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, but Jesus and the disciples they, and Jews spoke Aramaic at this time. And, and if you go back to Aramaic, the Aramaic word there is Abba, which literally means daddy. Daddy. Jesus said, didn't you know that I had to be in my daddy's house? My father's house? And what Jesus was saying to them, and I believe what Jesus is saying to us, and it was hard for them to understand, right? That said they didn't understand what he was saying, is that Jesus said that God has come for a relationship with him. It's not just about religion. You see, they had made it about religion, right? You know, you show up for the feast three times a year and you get a check mark. You know, you're at Shabbat and you keep all the rules, Shabbat the Sabbath, and you, you don't walk a certain distance, you get a check mark. You know, but, but, but it had all been about religion. And what Jesus was saying is, no, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship that God loves you and God longs for you to love him. God invites you into a relationship. And what they had done and what we do so many times is we turn it into religion. Right? And because religion is safe. And religion, I know the boundaries, I know the rules, I know the rituals. But I can show up, I can do my thing, I can get a check mark and I can leave. And yet God is saying, I don't want you just to compartmentalize your relationship with me. I want to be the Lord of your life and the joy of your heart. I've come to change your heart. Because I love you. And you can go through a lot of religion and never give your heart. And a lot of you have probably tried it. You've probably done it. But with a relationship, what God is saying is, I want to know you personally. And I care about you. You are mine. So where's your heart? What Jesus was doing, I believe, with the, the religious leaders back then is, I bet he started walking them through the Old Testament. And saying, hey, you remember Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. The Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. And then I believe he goes over to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of your life. It comes down to your heart. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, what does he say? The Lord says, call to me. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And he looks back in the Old Testament and says, look, God has been about a relationship. You think about Adam. You think about Abraham. You think about Moses. You think about David. It's always been about the heart. And so where's your heart? Where's your heart? What holds your heart? What's your passion? What's your love? What's your joy? Is it God? And here's the whole crux of it. When you come into Luke chapter 6, Jesus will say later on, he'll say, out of an overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And why God wants to change our hearts, why God wants to show us that don't live for the things of the world, but live for the things of me, is because out of this, everything else flows out of our life. Out of what's inside of us. 
So often we'll get frustrated with people, especially this time of year, we get impatient and things are hard and challenging or difficult, or we have, you know, people in our lives that aren't usually there. And, and so we can get anxious. And sometimes you cause me to do this and God's going, no, 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 no. You're allowing yourself because it starts in here. And your response is in here. And that's why God comes to change our heart. God comes to give us a heart of love and of grace and of mercy. So what keeps us from giving our heart to God? What keeps us from saying, God, hey, here's my heart. Lord, take and seal it. You know, God, it's yours. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. What keeps us a couple of things? Number one, I think is pride. Pride. You know, pride is the mother of all sins, isn't it? Pride, it's all about me. <laughs> you know, look at me. I can do it myself. As Americans, it, we, we like this because, you know, we want to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We want to figure it out. We want to do it on our own. And for us to come to a point to say, you know what? I need to yield my life to God. You know, the most vulnerable place for a man, the most vulnerable place for a man, women just know this is right here. This is so vulnerable for a guy. You know, it is just because, you know, we're right here. We're going, you know, will you marry me? And you're like waiting for a response. And you're going, please say yes, please say yes, please. This is going to be so awkward, right? And you're right there. I mean, you're putting your heart out there. And for us, there's a God who's drawing us to himself. And there's a God who's saying, trust me. Trust me with your life. Trust me with your life. And we're going, well, you know what? I've been hurt before. I don't know, God. Can you handle it? I don't know. Maybe I should just do it on my own. Maybe I should figure it out on my own. And pride keeps us so often from just fully diving into God, from fully trusting God. The second thing I think is our past. Our past. It keeps us from giving our heart to God because we define ourselves by our past. And Satan reminds us all the time of some of the mistakes that we've made. You know, oh, you know what you did with them? Mm, relationally? You know, or financially or what happened? Or those decisions that you made? Or, and every time we start to get serious, it's like this pops up. And we like live in the past. We define ourselves there. And, and here's the thing about the past. The, the past is three things. One, the past becomes personal. Our, our sins and our mistakes, they become personal. They're like, well, that's who I am. You know? That's just me. I'm just a sinner. That, that's me. It's personal. And we don't think anybody else goes through this. We think it's us. We think our sin was unique. We think our mistakes were unique. It was, it was just, that's me. And then it becomes pervasive. And we think, well, if I messed up in that one area of life, then that must be every area of my life, right? It's personal. It's pervasive. Every area of my life like that. Well, then I guess I'm just a sinner. I'm just a failure. That's who I am. That's the way I am. And my self-worth comes in the mistakes I've made in the past. And then the third thing that happens is it becomes permanent. It becomes permanent. And we just go, well, that's me. I mean, I just, that's always who I'm going to be. That's always the way my life's going to be. It's just, I've made mistakes. That's here I am. And that's just always how I'm going to be. Do you remember being in school and they would always threaten you with, that's going to go on your permanent record? Remember that? That used to scare me to death. I mean, I was a kid and I'm like, you know, in fifth grade and they're going, it's going to go on your permanent record. I'm like, well, I'm on my permanent record, man. You know? I mean, but you know, we think about that. It's like permanent in me. But here's what Jesus came to do. This is such good news. This is, this is I love this. I love here's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to give us a new heart, a new life. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. He's come to redeem us and to restore us and to make us new. But it begins with us trusting him and saying, I want to follow Jesus. I'm giving my heart to Jesus. As God draws me to himself, as God invites me into this relationship, I'm saying yes to God. 
Now, even after you give your life to Christ, right, there's still mistakes that you make. But you don't define yourself by the mistakes anymore. You define yourself as a son or a daughter of God. You'll still make mistakes, right? LeBron James, you know, he shoots, he misses a shot. He doesn't go, oh, well, I'm a terrible basketball player. <laughs> I can't shoot. I, I can't ever make it. Look at that. I just missed that shot. Did you see that? All right. No, what does he do? He sees that as an event. And you and I, we're going to make mistakes. But you know what we learn to do? We learn to see that as an event. As an event. And what does LeBron James do? He says, I'll learn from that. You know, I got to, you know, cop my wrist a little bit more. I got to go more arc on the ball. I got to do a better follow through. I'm still a great basketball player. I just made a mistake, but I'm going forward because I'm not defining myself in that miss. And you and I, man, there's such a joy and a freedom when we define ourselves in Christ because we're in a relationship with God and God is for us. And God wants the best for us. And we are growing and we're learning and we're becoming what God wants us to be. And we're going forward in him. Do you see the difference? I think it's so powerful for us. But Satan wants to keep us over here. Living in the mistakes and living in the sin and living in the past. And God is saying, I have made you new. I'm changing you from the inside out. And here's the beautiful part, right? See, religion is safe. Religion is, I show up for the feast, I show up for that, I get my check marks, and it's fine. But there's not a transformation in us. It's empty, it's hollow. Like C.S. Lewis said, is God safe? No. <laughs> but is God good? Oh, yes. See, what God does is he invites you on an adventure. He invites you to follow him. And that relationship with him, it grows deeper, it grows richer, it goes more beautiful all the days of your life. And what happens then is in that moment of, of trusting and of following and of being obedient, it not only impacts you, it impacts so many others as you give your life to Christ and you experience the joy and the peace that only God can give. And Jesus was showing them, hey, listen, this is the reason I've come. This is the reason I've come. It's so that holy God and sinful man can be united because I will pay the price. And I will draw your heart to a God who loves you. And a God who has a plan for you that's better than you could ever imagine. Hold on to him. Hold on to him. Jesus says, he is, you know, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Now, if you have a King James translation or you're looking at a King James translation or maybe you memorized it as a kid, you know, it, it's, it's also translated, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? about my father's business. See, the way you can look and say, hey, is the Lord the Lord of my heart? You start to look at this, am I my father's house? What is that? It's having a heart for worship. That I wanna worship God. Now worship isn't something that we just do for you know, 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. Worship is our life. Worship is our response back to God for who he is and for what he's done in our lives. Here's a great definition of worship. Worship is my mind's attention and my heart's affection. My mind's attention and my heart's affection. So if you want to know what you worship, just kind of look at this. I mean, what do I think about the most or what dominates my heart the most? Where does my affection go? And it's so easy for careers, so easy for money. It's so easy for other things that aren't bad things, you know, kids and everything else to come in and be the Lord of our heart. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm in my father's house. There's this heart for worship and you're growing, you're developing a heart for worship, a great barometer. Is Jesus the Lord of my heart? And the second thing you see there is about my father's business, a heart for others, 
a heart for others. As Jesus changes our heart, we want to then make a difference in the lives of others for his name and for his glory. We want to give back. That's why Jesus said, hey, look at the Old Testament, 713 laws in the Old Testament. But let me combine it down for you, Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so are you growing in your love for God? Are you growing in your love for others? Are you developing a heart for God? Are you developing a heart for others? As you do that, that's where the peace results in your life. That's where the joy comes in your life. And it is contagious then and it impacts so many people around. A couple of weeks ago, we had Angel Tree. And uh, it was a day where we had about 80 cards. And, and they were for um, people who, you know, the mom or the dad's in prison or they're sick and their kids aren't going to get any Christmas presents. And so we had about 80 and they were all gone after the first service. I mean, it was just like, I mean, everybody just took them. And we went and distributed those presents. So many people were generous and bought presents for, for kids. And immediately after distributing those presents, I got an email from a, from a man. And he said, um, Pastor Jeff, I just want to thank you and the church. He said, my daughter's in prison. He said, she's made some bad choices in her life. He said, but I'm praying for her. And please, would you guys pray for her? That God would redeem her life because I still believe in her. And he said, but... My grandkids weren't going to have anything for Christmas until the people at your church bought, her, bought them gifts. He said, I just want to thank you for sharing Christ with my family. I was like, wow. Wow. You know, next week we have a team going to Moldova. And so many people have brought coats and scarves and gloves to take to orphan children halfway around the world. Our team will be in 11 different orphanages. And, and in those orphanages, you know, if, if a child gets a, a banana or an orange, they are so excited. They can't even believe it. This is unbelievable. And yet, God has changed our hearts. And as God changes our hearts, we want to go. And we want to give in coats and boots and scarves and share the love of Christ. There was a couple in our church that really wanted to go and they... They couldn't afford to go, and another couple heard about it, and they said, we'll pay for you to go because we can't, but we want you to be there and to share a smile. A couple weeks ago, there was a small group that was meeting, a small group of students. And the students were there, and their, their small group leader asked their question to these group of eighth grade boys and said, if you could spend one day with one person in the world, you spend the whole day with them, who would it be? You know, I mean, would it be LeBron James? Would it be... Justin Timberlake, would it be, you know, President Obama? If you could spend one day with one person, who would it be? And so the boys are going around, they're saying famous people, famous people and all this. And there was this one boy, he's a great kid, unbelievable kid. And he's, he has a wonderful mom, she's a single mom, she's amazing and, and just so kind and so sweet. But that boy, he sat there and he looked at his small group leader and here's this, this guy and he's, you know, he's just an attorney, but he loves the Lord. He's just so passionate about Jesus. And here's this kid and he, he looks up at his small group leader and he says, I'd spend the day with you. I'd spend the day with you. And I just thought, wow, the power of time, the power of generosity, the power of just saying, you know what? As we follow Christ, it's going to impact others. As we live for something different than the world, people are going to say, I want to know more. I want to be a part of that. I want that in my heart, in my life. 
at the wrapping station last week. So many people have been wrapping gifts. Thank you, church. It's been unbelievable. Right there in the middle of Cool Springs Mall. And at the wrapping station last week, a, a, a dad and his son came up to the wrapping station. And they, they said, hey, we, we know you guys are a church. We know you guys help people. We want to do something for somebody too. Do you guys know anybody who needs help? And so the lady who was rapping, she got on the phone. She called Laura Chapman, our connections minister. She's like, Laura, there's a man and his son here. They, they want to help somebody too. Do you know anybody? And Laura said, yeah, there's a, there's a mom in our, in our church. And she just went through a divorce and she's got two kids. And, and, and so she's relaying this to them and they're relaying it to the people there at the rapping station. The people at the rapping station said, sure, we'll help them. We'll help them. What, what are their sizes? What are their ages? And so Laura's telling them the ages of the kids. And they said, we'll be right back. And they went and shopped for about an hour or so and two hours. And they came back and they had all this stuff. And they said, hey, can you guys wrap this? We're like, yeah, we can wrap this. You know, for the wrapping station. And, and there they are wrapping these gifts. And this past week, I had the privilege to go up some people from our staff and deliver those gifts. And this mom just like, thank you. Thank you. You see, what happens inside of your heart, it's an overflow into your life. And when Christ becomes the Lord of your life, then that's where the joy comes. That's where the self-worth and the value comes. That's where you know God has changed me by his grace. And I can share that love with others. The greatest gift of all has been given to you. Think about that. The greatest gift of all has been given to you. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the question is, have you received that gift? Have you received the gift of Christ? And has Christ come in and changed your heart? Are you living for Christ and for his name and for his glory? Because there's a God who loves you so much. Maybe today you just look at your life and you go... Man, I got to be honest. I, I've forgotten about Jesus. I've gotten caught up in everything else that's going on in the world. And I, I've been so busy that I've just forgotten to focus on Jesus. And yet there's a God who's drawing you to himself. And a God who's saying, it's a relationship. Know me. Follow me. Trust me. What holds your heart? What holds your heart? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Right where you are. Would you be honest today? You know, as the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. As you look in your life, has there been a time that you've responded? Has there been a time that you've given your heart to God? As God draws you to himself, and you can sense the Holy Spirit right here this morning. Has there been a time that you've said, yes, God, here's my heart. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I want to be yours. I want to be your daughter. I want to be your son. I'm yours. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior today. Maybe if you are a believer, are you still living in the past? Or have you realized that Jesus has given you a new heart and a new life? And you can go forward redeemed and restored. Maybe if you're a believer, have you forgotten about Christ? Have you gotten so busy that it's become about a lot of other things? And today, you just say, I want my life to be about Jesus. 
So Father, thank you for your presence this morning. God, thank you for Christmas and the gift of your son, Jesus, who changes everything, Father. Who changes everything in the world by changing one heart at a time. One heart at a time, loving you and loving others impacts another heart and another life and another heart and another life and another heart and another life. And Father, I thank you for the joy and the peace and the hope that we have in Christ. I pray today, Father, for those here who have still been living in religion and trying to get enough good check marks and yet today, Father, understand it's about a relationship. I pray, God, you would draw us to yourself. I pray for those here, Father, who, who Satan's been holding on and in their hearts and it's been about bitterness or anger or resentment. Father, I pray for freedom to come today. And for joy and peace to enter hearts. I pray today for all of us, God, to just the busyness of the season that we wouldn't take our eyes off Christ. But that you would fill us, oh Lord, today. God, thank you for your presence this morning. And for the gift of your son. The greatest gift of all has been given to us. Thank you for Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.